Tonight we're talking about demons and bacon. If you're not intrigued, that's on you. Because we're in a culture that loves bacon. I love bacon, not the fake turkey bacon, um, the real stuff, the real pig bacon, which honestly is fascinating because, um, let's be honest here, pigs are gross and disgusting animals. I know this uh, because I've had a few interesting and pretty random experiences uh, with pigs. For one, we have pigs at our house. We have about eight of them. They're not actually in our house. They're actually in the woods behind our house. Um, they're, wild, they're a wild herd of pigs that come in and make a mess behind our fence, but I secretly love it, and I'm fascinated by it because I'm a bit, a bit of a city boy with farm blood. So, you know, growing up, I had aunts and uncles with pigs, uh, like the, the, the normal pigs that you see in pig pens on farms, you know, the typical nasty, smelly pigs, uh, and they would, they would then kill and make bacon out of it, like what, what you do with pigs. And then I, I also had an aunt. She had the little teacup pigs. Right? And, and they lived inside of her house, and she literally had a bunch of tiny pigs running around her house, uh, which I just thought was the coolest thing ever. Like, it was just, I mean, they would come and run around. They had names. Uh, they had, you know, they were all potty trained, and we would sit on our couch. They would come and jump up on your, on your lap, and you'd pet them like dogs. Like, it was just a really cool thing. Uh, and she was a little offended when I asked if we could eat them. Um, so there's that, you know. But I also had one of my best friends growing up. He, he you know, he's... He was a little bit of an odd character, but he was a lot of fun. Several years ago, uh, as an adult, he too decided he wanted to have a pet pig. But he didn't want a small teacup pig. He wanted a massive 100-pound potbelly pig. And this pig, it lived inside of his house uh, with his own bedroom that every day it would do what pigs do, and it would act like a pig. And one day he met a girl, and this girl uh, also had a pet pig, but it was a small teacup pig, and she asked my friend if he would pig sit for her pig. And what happens when two pigs come together and they spend the night together? Well, they decided to make more bacon. That's what they did. And the next thing you know, my friend's 100-pound potbelly pig was impregnated by an 8-pound teacup pig. And several months later, they had about 20 little piglets running around um, their garage. All this to say that pigs are fascinating, disgusting animals that also taste really good. And so tonight, uh, I imagine us all sitting around a campfire with the author of the Gospel of Mark, and I just told you my pig story, and Mark's going to come in and tell all of us his better pig story. And so tonight, the author of the book of Mark is going to have uh, a very interesting story involving pigs to help us answer the question that we've been asking throughout our series, who is Jesus? And not only does he, uh, does, does Mark use pigs in his story, in our passage today, demons are also involved, which inevitably in our culture, demons have two extremes. On one side, uh, our culture is extremely, it's just overly intrigued by demons. In our culture, you know, in new ageism and, and postmodern mysticism, you know, all of, the, all of these things have caused uh, our culture to be enamored by angels and demons and spirituality beyond this world. And Hollywood has fed off of this intrigue, creating movies and shows like The Exorcist that we saw in the early 70s, The Blair Witch Project that we saw in the late 90s, and along with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and even more recently shows and movies like Paranormal Activity and The Walking Dead. And what has inevitably happened is our view of demons has been shaped by Hollywood. 
And on the flip side, the age of reason and enlightenment have caused us to completely reject any demons or spirit beings. And so I've said our view of demons, it has two extremes. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he points out this, these two extremes. In his book, Lewis is painting a picture of the strategies of Satan's demons that are, and there's an older and wiser demon named Screwtape, and he's mentoring the younger demon named Wormwood. And he's mentoring in him on how to be a demon. In the preface to this book, C.S. Lewis sheds some light on this on these two extremes of demons, this is what Lewis says in the preface. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or magician with the same delight. So us knowing these two extremes that we have tonight... I want us to view this subject with a dose of biblical balance. We're going to walk through, uh, we're, we're going to work off of the basis tonight that demons are in fact real, because as we see in our passage, Jesus shows us that they're real. Jesus believed that demons are real, and that's, that's good enough for me. But logically, if Jesus is who he says he is, if sin is real, if evil and Satan are real, then it's not a big jump to say that demons are real too. We just need to be careful. We just need to be careful to not swing to the other side of the pendulum to let Hollywood dictate our understanding of demons. What we need to understand when we think of demons is that they essentially work for Satan. They're fallen angels that oppose God. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, this is what he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Again, when we think of demons, we need to think of evil that calls us to sin or show and reveal the brokenness of the world. They're evil, and demons can show themselves in many ways, right? In my, in my time overseas, I've seen people with my own two, with my own two eyes that I believe, uh, they believed and appeared to be under what we would think is demonic activity. And what most people in the United States would say is, no, that's not a demon, uh, they're just sick or they're just laced up on drugs, which honestly may have been the cause. Uh, and I'm not saying every time we see a cold, there's a demon, but I'm also not saying that it's in, in some contexts, it's not a demon. Because demons are not just out to make us sick. Demons are trying to hinder our worship of God. And so who's to say that although we have modern medicine that in a lot of ways causes us not to cry out to God for help and healing, like those that don't have access to that, Who's to say that demons can't show themselves in form of drugs or alcohol addiction or pornography addiction or an outburst of anger or doubt? What if, what if demons in our, uh, that we experience here in our modern culture are more dangerous than the demons of the foaming of the mouth? Because they can be much more subtle and yet just as destructive. So something that has helped me think about demons in the Bible is to, in some ways, to, con to contrast them with angels. Just like just like we give God the credit for the handiwork of angels, we should also give Satan the credit for the handiwork of demons. They're kind of two in the same, uh, just opposing. So regardless of whether or not something is caused by a demon, in my, in my opinion, it doesn't really matter. Uh, because when we see demons in the Bible, they're representing evil. The demonic and evil realm of this world, they're representing Satan. So instead of looking at everything, wondering if it's caused by a demon or not, what Whenever we see a sign of evil in the world, 
I think it's fair to say that it's probably that there is probably some sort of demonic realm involved because it's representing the enemy. Honestly, there's a lot of differing opinions on this type of thing, and we could spend hours studying it and talking about it, but this story that we're going to be in tonight is far greater than just trying to figure out the theology of demons. So as we get into the story, at the very least, I hope we can agree that regardless of how demons manifest themselves, even if we think demons don't exist, at the very, at the very least, I think we can agree as we look out into the world that everything is not good all the time. Something's wrong. There are bad things that happen in this world, and I think it's safe to say that evil is real, right? that, that, that it exists. And so the question everyone must answer is where does evil come from, and how do we fix it? Is there, is there any hope for evil in this world? So, so that's where we're going, um, and we're using a story about uh, Jesus and pigs to help us, okay? And just beware, this is not a lighthearted story, if you can't tell, it is a heavy topic. Demons are involved uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 5. And as we've said already, our story is more than just a story about pigs and demons. It's a story that paints a picture of the evil in the world, that evil how, that evil that often manifests itself in our own lives. And ultimately, we're going to see as our big idea today, you'll see up on the screen here, that Satan destroys and Jesus delivers. Satan destroys, but Jesus delivers. And just like we've done in the past several weeks, we're going to take this big idea and we're going to break it into two different sections. We'll see number one, that Satan destroys, and number two, Jesus delivers. And on the back end of our time, we're going to see the response to all of this because all of this demands a response. So we're going to have several responses on the back end. So as we go through this story, I'm not going to read it all at once up front. I'm going to read it and I'm going to talk a little bit as we go. But before we jump in, I want to remind you where we are in the Gospel of Mark. Because last week, we were at the end of chapter 4, and we saw how Jesus had been teaching all day, uh, he was tired, they got into the boat, and they got caught into a really bad storm, and then Jesus completely calms the storm with the power of his word, right? We saw that Jesus is all-powerful, we saw that Jesus is over-creation, and leaving the disciples in the boat in fear and awe, asking the question, they asked this question, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey? Thus asking the same question that we see throughout our entire series, who is Jesus? And then immediately after that, after the storm calms down, after everything that they ask, right after they ask that question, the very, very, the very next verse that we see in the Bible is our passage today. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And this is what it says. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. So I'm going to stop there for a second. I'm going to do this, so just keep, hang tight. I'm going to do this a bit, so bear with me. Um, so they go to the other side of the calm the sea, right? After the sea, after the sea calms, uh, there's a, they go to the major city by the water. And at this, at this major city, there's caverns there and tombs in this area. And so Jesus just calmed a violent storm with the power of his word. And we're going to see that he's also about to calm a violent man with that same power. And let, look at verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So at that time, again, tombs were kind of a dwelling place for demons. That's what they believed. And this man was visibly seen to have an unclean spirit or an evil spirit or some sort of demon. Labeling this man is often labeled as a demoniac. That's kind of a theological term that they labeled for this guy, a demoniac. And when Jesus stepped off the boat, this man comes up to meet Jesus. And when he comes up to meet Jesus, it's clear that there is something visibly wrong with this man. In the next few verses, it gives us a glimpse into this man's life. What's wrong with this man? Look what it says about him. 
starting in verse 3. It says, He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So get this, Jesus walks off the boat, he walks into a mess. I mean, he walks into what most would call a very messy life. It may even be fair to say that this is far beyond a normal mess. It's quite possibly disastrous. So Jesus gets off the boat and is met by this man, a demoniac, who lives in a bad area. He lives in the tombs, and he's known, known for being demonized. And he was not just, this, listen, this guy was not just a nuisance to society. He wasn't just a pain in the neck. The man could not be controlled. They tried to lock him up with shackles and chains, but apparently this guy's like the Hulk, and he just burst right out of it. So not only is he a nuisance to society, a pain in the neck, and uncontrollable, but the guy's just straight up swole. Like, he's a big dude. The Bible says no one had the strength to subdue him. There's some sort of strength that is, that is inside of him that's coming out. And not only that, he knew it. He had a major problem. It says in verse 5, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. So not only was the man an uncontrollable Nuisance to society, he was also a broken man. He didn't just have a problem, he knew he had a problem. He knew he needed help, and the man didn't know what to do. This man had experienced the weight, knowing the experience, knowing and experiencing the realm of Satan. This is where this is where we need to really buckle up when, when, we, when, when it gets, where it starts to get heavy, because it became very clear, and it becomes very clear in this passage that number one, Satan destroys. We don't have to look far to know that this is true. Right? We can look at the news, we can go to any hospital, any school, and you'll see the ravaging effects in this world of Satan the Destroyer. It's all over the place. This is, where the, this is what our enemy does best. Right? He wants to destroy our relationships, marriages, contentment. Whatever Satan can destroy, he wants to destroy it. And this man has a demon inside of him, and it was destroying his life. You see, God created man and image in his image, and God created humans to be like God, to know God. For us to have a glimpse of who God is, to be image bearers of God. But Satan the destroyer comes into this man's life with a demon, with demonic activity, and began to defile this man as an image bearer. And this man knew that he was unclean. He knew that he was defiled. The disciples knew that he was unclean and defiled. He checked what it seemed like to be every single box in the Old Testament that would make this man unclean. And everyone knew it. Everyone around him knew it. It was clear and evident, and everyone knew it. If, if anyone touched this man, they, were, they too would become unclean and defiled. So he was clearly an outcast. Right? He was a, re a reject. This man was far too gone. No one could do anything to help him, but Satan... Satan, was a def Satan defiled this man. Satan the destroyer came into this man's life, and the evil of this world was too much for this man to handle. And here, in this, throughout this image, we're seeing a picture of what John 10.10 10 says. This is what it says, speaking of the enemy. A thief only comes in to steal, kill, and to destroy. And then Peter, the, ap the apostle Peter later says, your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So some have said about this passage that uh, he was trying to cut himself 
as pagan worship. Like that was just like a, a, a way of, of worship, worshiping pagans. Some have said that this was uh, his best attempt, trying to get the demons out, cutting himself, trying to cut the demons out of him. And some have said, quite possibly, no, this man was just trying to end his life because he didn't know what else to do. He felt, as many people in this world have experienced, he felt hopeless, he felt useless, and the man felt far too gone. And the tragedy of it all was that this was the exact agenda of the demons that were inside of him to speak lies to him, right? To make him believe he can't be helped, to make him believe he's useless, to make him believe that he's a menace to society. And what I know to be true is that what this man experienced outwardly, many of us have experiencing or currently experiencing or will experience inwardly. Because maybe... Your life appears to be like this, man. You know it. Everyone else knows it. Maybe not physically, but possibly emotionally. Maybe you felt rejected, isolated, maybe even tormented, or quite possibly, maybe you're believing that what you have done is too bad, it's too terrible, and your life is too far gone. Maybe you believe this about yourself, or quite possibly, maybe you believe this about someone else in your life. But let's not forget that this story is not over. Because look at what he does in verses 6 and 7. The man says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. In this man's desperation... In his despair, when it felt like his life had nowhere else to go, when he was in shambles, hopeless, and searching for an answer, what does this man do? Something happens in this man that turned his life upside down. What happens in this man's life reverses the curse of his despair. What happens? The man met Jesus. The man meets Jesus. He cries out, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. This demon-possessed, far-too-gone man has encountered Jesus, and as, we, as we'll see in a second, it changed his life. But there's something interesting that I want to point out here. I want to slow down a second and point out and look back at these two verses again. There's, there's an interesting dilemma that scholars will often bring up in this, in this passage. And there's a question that we need to answer. When Jesus speaks, is he speaking directly to the man or is he speaking directly to the demon? You know, I find this interesting. There's two, there's two, on the, there's two different perspectives and uh, is the man running to Jesus for help and mercy, or are the demons running to him, running to Jesus in defense? Like they're trying to defend their territory to get Jesus out. Let's, let's think about it from both perspectives. I want to kind of paint the picture for both of them. It seems kind of like the cartoon, you know, where you've got the angel on one side and the demon on the other. Um, we've got a picture of good versus evil. It's kind of like, you know, Aladdin and the genie. Anybody know who I'm talking about here? Uh, versus Jafar. Right? Or for my sports fan, maybe it's Duke versus Carolina, Alabama versus Clemson, and the Yankees versus everybody else. We all know who, uh, which teams are good and which teams are evil. Um, but when I first read this, when I first read this, I read it from the man's perspective. Um, and I, ran it as, I read it as the man uh, running to Jesus for help. And I'm going to read it again from this man's perspective, uh, adding in some commentary for emphasis. But it should still be up there. Look at it. It says, and when he, the man, this is the man speaking, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he, the man, said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And in this moment, I just imagine this man possibly thinking, why are you here, Jesus? 
I see that you're the son of the most high God. Why did you come for me? How are you going to help me? I know that I'm unclean. I know that I'm not holy. I know that I don't meet your standard. I know that I shouldn't be in your presence. My dirt, my filth, everything about me deserves judgment. And then the man cries out for mercy. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He's essentially saying, have mercy on me, God. Don't give me what I deserve. And from this man's perspective, it seems like he knows who Jesus is, that he's the son of the most high God. And it appears that he knows that Jesus can help him. And if anyone could do it, he knows that it would be Jesus. So that's the first perspective. But if you look at it from the demon's perspective, the more common, this is the more commonly recognized perspective. And from this perspective, the demons were running to defend their area. The perspective, this is a little different. And look, let's read it again, verse 6. And when he, the man charged by the demons, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Because the demons, the demons knew who this man was. They were fearful. They, they saw that Jesus was dangerous. He was a dangerous opponent in Jesus. And in the original language of the text, one of the things that commentators have said, that verse 7, this, the language in this text, it's forceful. It's violent. It's fierce. It's defensive. And then it says in verse 7, And crying out with a loud voice, he, who's filled by the demon, said, Why have you, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Essentially filled by the de- demons, essentially saying to Jesus, from this perspective of the demons, Get out of here. Right? Why are you here interfering with us? I, it says, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And it's widely believed during this time that there was, you know, there was some sort of adversary. Uh, by, if someone, someone called out to an adversary by a precise name, it gave the adversary master over them. So in essence, the demons were addressing Jesus by a precise name. You know, the, the, to, in defense, they were trying to mas- have master over him, to be ruler over him. But as we know, it didn't work. And here's the thing, regardless of who Jesus is speaking to, whether he's speaking directly to the man who's crying out in desperation or the demons fighting in defense, which if you want to know my opinion, I would say it's both. Because even though this man is possessed by demons, he's still an image bearer. Just like every person on the planet, no matter how much evil is inside of a person, they're still created in the image of God, knowing both good and evil. Every person inside of them have some sort of longing for what is good. And I, and I believe that even though this man was possessed by a demon, showing much evil, he still longed to be with Jesus. He still longed to know what is good. That is, there's something inside of us as being image bearer that longs for that. And here's the beauty of it. Regardless of who it is, whether it's the demons or the man, they both run to Jesus. They both run to Jesus. If the demon's running in defense at the same time, the man is running for help and, help and mercy. And regardless of the fact, Here's the thing. They went to Jesus. It doesn't matter because the man encountered Jesus. And here's the point. Number two, Jesus delivered. Jesus rescues this man, and he rescues him with the sound of his word. Jesus helps this man while at the same time defeating the the demons, defeating darkness, and conquering the oppression of evil in this man's life. And so with that said, let's look at this next several verses uh, to see what Jesus does. Right, to see specifically how he delivers this man. Look at verse 8. It says, For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. It's, you know, it's clear in this moment. He's, it's, it's, he's now addressing the demons directly. And then in verse 9 it says, And Jesus asked him, what is, this is speaking to the demons, What is your name? 
And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And something you need to know about legions, before we go any further, it's a term for thousands. It was like five to 6,000 Roman soldiers was considered a legion. And then in verse 10, speaking to the demons, and he, speaking of the demon, begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Which to me, that is interesting, because they're crying out for mercy. Uh, they realize they're at the mercy of God, and they, poss- and, and, and they possibly think they're safest in their own region, um, so in a, in a strange way, Jesus actually gives them what they ask, uh, but as we'll soon see, it doesn't work, doesn't work too well for them. Look back at verse 11. It says, Now a great herd of pigs, there are pigs, uh, was feeding there on the hillside. They see the pigs, all the bacon, right? They're intrigued by all the bacon. And it says in verse 12, And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he, says in verse 13, So he gave them permission. Yes, the demons are subject to, to Jesus. The demons had to have permission by Jesus. And it says, And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank in the sea and drowned them by drowned them in the sea. So all of, all of the pigs go in, go flooding into the ocean uh, for all of the sharks and the fish of the sea to enjoy all of that bacon. And in that moment, the demons did to the pigs what they were trying to do to this man, right? (laughs) To destroy this man, to devour this man and kill this man. That's exactly what the demons did to 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 the pigs. And it's clear, Satan destroys, but Jesus delivers. Now, I want to stop and address each of us in this room here for a second, because I know that the enemy is real. And as I've said before, demons and evil and sin can show themselves in many ways. And I believe, because Jesus portrays it in this story, that demonic demon possession is in fact real. This is something that, that appears to be demonic activity that's out of the ordinary, it's visibly intensified. That may, it may be something that we have never seen before. But like this man in this story, you may be here tonight with something in your life, something specific in your life that is completely controlling you. It's controlling your thoughts, your emotions, your attitude, you know exactly what it is, and it just won't go, it just won't seem to go away. Maybe you have some sort of addiction. Maybe it's drugs or alcohol or pornography, or some sort of sexual addiction, or maybe you have an addiction to your phone or social media, or possibly the approval of others. Maybe you have some sort of physical ailment or an issue with contentment or some sort of stress or anxiety or an eating disorder, possibly some sort of ongoing struggle with your appearance, or quite possibly. You're wrestling with some sort of doubt and unbelief. Whatever it is, we all have something in our life that is hindering us from worship. It's hindering us from worship. Call it a demon, call it spiritual warfare, call it evil, call it idolatry, call it sin, whatever you want to call it. Something I know to be true is that we have an enemy that is lurking around to steal, kill, and destroy. It's absolutely true, and you'll see up here on the screen that our enemy is seeking to destroy, but take heart, brothers and sisters, we have a Savior, a God, that has the power to deliver. Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, is over sin and evil. He's over your demons. He's over the demonic. Not only is Jesus over them, but they must listen to him. Demons and evil and spiritual forces that cause us to sin must listen to the voice of God. They must listen to Jesus. And at the sound of his voice and by the power of his word, the demons fall down on their knees in fear knowing that they are subservient to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They're subservient to the Messiah, the Son of the Most High God. The demons of this world know the name of Jesus, and they fear his name. 
that know that they come face to face with Jesus, they can't do anything without his permission. Jesus is not just Lord of creation, but Jesus is Lord over all. Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. Not only did thousands of demons shudder at his name, begging Jesus to leave this one man just to enter pigs and run off a cliff and die into the abyss of the sea. No, Jesus would do far more to that, far something far worse to the evil in the world. What Jesus would soon do would cause every demon, every spirit, an act from the hand of Satan that is lurking around to steal, kill, and destroy. What Jesus would soon do would be to go to a bloody cross, die a criminal's death, declaring over every evil in the world that they are all subservient to Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. They're all worthless. Every demon Every evil spirit, they have no hope, no future, and will one day run into an eternal abyss where they can no longer torment, torture, torture, and lurk on the people of God. Because at the cross, Jesus made an eternal declaration over sin. He made an eternal declaration over evil, over every spiritual darkness that this world faces, declaring that Jesus is the deliverer of sin and evil. Just like the man was delivered from thousands of demons, by the power of Jesus' work. When Jesus went to the cross, died a criminal's death, and rose from the dead, because Jesus did that for you and me, when the God of the universe looks at us, <laughs> he doesn't see us as demonized. He doesn't see us as unclean, full of demons, and full of sin and evil. No, by the power of his word, because of the cross, he views and declares us as clean, <laughs> free of all evil all sin and completely demon-free. Because of the cross, we too can take on the identity that the man and the demons called out to Jesus in fear and awe. When we put our faith in Jesus, we take on identity through the gospel as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And because Jesus is inside of us today, if you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, get this, the demons of this world the evil of this world, if, you, if Christ is in you, the demons look at us and fear because Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, who lives inside of us, if we are in Christ, looks down at them and rebukes them because as this passage shows us, as we also see in the book of Job and in other passages throughout the Bible, when demons encounter Jesus, they can only do what Jesus gives them permission to do. And do you know what Jesus does with demons? He crushes them. He sends them into the raging sea to die because when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just go to the cross for past sins and future sins. He went to the cross to make a statement against evil, declaring that Jesus has the power to both forgive sins and also to crush and destroy demons that hinder our worship. We could say it this way. Jesus went to the cross both declaring war against evil while also declaring victory over the war. Today when demons evil and spiritual darkness labor against God's people. When they labor against those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, when they labor, they labor in vain because Jesus has already laid the final blow. Brothers and sisters, if you are here today, if you are experiencing a sin struggle you cannot overcome, I don't know what brought you in here today. Whatever it is, whatever sin, evil, or possibly even demon you have that is hindering your worship of God, we all have something. Every single one of us. We have something that hinders our worship of God. Whatever it is, you're not without hope. Because God is in the business of crushing demons. God is in the business of destroying evil and delivering us from the oppression of this world. And here's the thing. We may not know how they will be destroyed. We, know, we may not know when they will be destroyed. But something that we know for sure, without a doubt in my mind, we know exactly 
who will deliver and destroy this. And his name is Jesus. Hear me on this. Sin is real. Evil is real. Demons are real. Whatever you're experiencing is hard. It's challenging. It's likely a very difficult struggle that seems like something we may never overcome. But whatever is in your life, whatever seems too difficult or too dark, Mark 5 is very clear on this. Jesus can shine brighter and Jesus can shine stronger. When we see evil today in our lives and the lives around us in our, and in our world, we should be grieved, but we should not be deceived because Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, is Jesus is still sitting over all. We're not people without hope. And as we close out our time today, uh, in the last 10 minutes or so, I want to sh- slow down here and I want to read the end of our story, okay? And then make a few observations about our response because if, if what, all of what we said is true, it demands a response. There's no middle ground. So follow along with me in verse 14. We've still got about 10 minutes left, so hang with me here. Um, it says in verse 14, it says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what, it has, has, see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had, been, had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been oppressed, who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with them. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So the first thing I want us to notice here is with this man that was demon possessed. You know, after the demons left, this man, there was something visibly different about this man. As it says in verse 15, it says that he was sitting there, it says he was clothed and in his right mind. And something that we see in this story, and we also see this throughout the entire Bible, when someone encounters Jesus, when they truly see what Jesus has done for them in the gospel, right, when someone starts to understand that their sin is far worse than they could ever imagine, but God's love is far greater than they could ever hope for, when we start to recognize that we're completely rebellious, but yet God completely redeemed us and saved us anyways, when we're gripped by this truth, listen, our lives can't be the same. A changed life is the evidence of someone who has encountered Jesus. If we are in Christ, right, the scriptures tell us that we're a new creation. The old life is gone. Right? That Jesus gives us a new life. Jesus gives us a new direction. And this man, he clearly has a different life. His life has been changed by encountering Jesus. But then we see something else. There's some, this is something very interesting in this story. And it's that even the demons know Jesus. That's kind of alarming, right? They know all the right facts about him. The demons know that they, they have all the knowledge about Jesus. They even say with their mouth, they even proclaim with their mouth that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. And as James says in James 2.19, it says, even the demons believe and shudder. This is alarming uh, because if our lives are not changed by what we know about God, we're no different than the demons. And so we must ask, what do our lives say about what we believe? So next, something else we see at the end of this story. We see a group of people that witness what Jesus did, 
They watched Jesus make a visible difference in this man's life. But they didn't like it. For whatever reason, these people that come into this story, they didn't like what Jesus was doing. Maybe they were upset about all all the pigs that were lost. I mean, that's a lot of pigs. We have to be honest. A lot of pigs were lost. Maybe Maybe they couldn't believe that Jesus would actually save and deliver such a terrible man. A man that, that caused possibly a lot of trouble. Maybe, po- quite possibly, maybe this man came into, this, the, into their family's life and did something terrible because he was possessed by a demon. Maybe he'd, he'd done something far too bad that they just couldn't forgive. And to be honest, it's not overly clear uh, why they wanted him gone, but it is clear some people didn't like Jesus. And in verse 17, it says, And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They didn't want Jesus. They rejected Jesus. And what seems to be the best reasoning as to why they didn't like Jesus is probably the same reason people today don't like Jesus or why they don't want to follow him. And here's the thing. People, most, most of the time, people don't want to follow Jesus because Jesus makes things really uncomfortable. Because a life that follows Jesus is by no means easy. Let's be honest. A life that follows Jesus is pretty difficult. Because God asks us to do things that are hard. God asks us to do things that are not comfortable, to make sacrifices, to make sacrifices, to forgive people that we don't want to forgive. And if I know anything about to be true about what keeps people from Jesus, like the demons, it's not knowledge that's keeping people from Jesus. It's not, it's not logic that's keeping people from Jesus. Most of the time, what people what, what keeps people from Jesus is the fear to change. It's the fear of missing out. Because let's be honest, in the moment. Sin can seem really fun. I believe that the greatest hindrance to someone coming to Jesus on the college campus or just in general in our culture here in America, it's not logic, it's not knowledge of God, it's not even whether they believe it's true or not, it's, not the, it's, it's the enticement of sin. It's the enticement of the world. It's the understanding that they must leave their old life, a life that says Jesus must be put to death. And here's the thing, that's really uncomfortable. And as we've said, even the demons believe and shudder. But their lives are not different. If you're not a Christian here today, I want to call you, like the man in the story, to run to Jesus, to encounter Jesus and let God change you. A life that follows Jesus is by no means easy, but it is worth it. It is worth it. Just like the man in the story, once you truly encounter Jesus, just like we saw in the end of this story, he won't want to leave his side. And then next, for everyone here in the room tonight, both Christian and non-Christian, and if I'm honest, this is part of the story that has been gripping for me all week long. Something that has kind of shook my own life quite a bit. Um, this story gives a starting, startling image of a demon-possessed man. Right? This man is in shackles. This man is controlled by the demon. Something is visibly destroying his life. And to be clear and direct, how, when, we, when we see this man's demon in this man's life, how it's destroying his life, this is how we should view even the subtleties of our sin. Satan wants to use anything necessary to destroy, even, even the sins to the world that don't seem that bad, because the reality is the picture we see of this man possessed by a demon is how the God of the universe views every single one of our sins. And the beauty of the gospel is that this time, 
God didn't send our sins to be sacrificed by pigs. No, God sent our sins to be sacrificed by Jesus on the cross. If Jesus put to death the penalty of our sin at the cross, we can be confident that Jesus also wants to put to death the ongoing presence of sin in our life. And in the words of John Owen, if we don't kill sin in our life, it may kill us. Don't, don't let Satan destroy. Let Jesus deliver. And then finally, for the Christian in the room who has encountered Jesus, who has experienced a changed life, will you do as it says to the man in verse 19 as we see up here on the screen? If you're a follower of Christ here today, don't ever lose sight of what the Lord has done for you. Go and tell the world what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown mercy on you. This is why we need the gospel every day. Every day we wake up a sinner and every day we're a sinner saved by grace. We're not, we were once rebels, but God redeemed us. We were once orphaned, but God adopted us as as his children, brothers and sisters. God has shown his mercy today. If you've experienced a changed life, this story calls us to shout it from the rooftops. To go and tell people what God has done for you. When we, marvel, when, we, when we marvel at what God has done for us, when we're amazed by the gospel, by the mercy God has shown to us, when this happens, when this happens, when we're marveled by God, telling others is not a duty, it's a delight. Because when, we're, because when we tell others, we're giving them the opportunity to marvel at the works of God. To marvel. When the man went away to proclaim what Jesus did for him, it says everyone marveled. And for everybody here today, I hope that we'll be marveled by the works of God, that we'll be marveled by Jesus, our deliverer. If, you, if you've seen God's power work in your life, talk about it. Because we all, need to, we all need to hear and be reminded of the Lord's delivering power because it's clear from this passage. Jesus delivers. Jesus delivers. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we, I pray that we would be marveled by the works of God today. I pray that we would come to the cross, that we would come and see what God has done for us, how God has come to destroy sin and evil, how God uh, has come to give us the power to overcome sin and evil in this world, to destroy sin in our lives. Father, I pray that we would kill sin, that we would, we would see the power of the cross as something uh, that gives us life that we can run to, that we can run to Jesus, our deliverer. Father, I pray that as we worship tonight, we would worship uh, in awe. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.